trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Glad you could join me today. By the way, if you're, if you're just tuning in for the first time, you might have some questions. Okay, what am I in for? Go on, out with it. Well, let me just tell you straight up, this program is not for everyone. And it's not because we're so cool and so exclusive that only really, really awesome people can handle it. But uh, look, the truth of the matter is, I talk about really difficult subjects sometimes. In fact, a lot of the time, because there's a lot of that going on right now. And, and my goal here is never to you know, depress you or make you angry or anxious or fearful. My goal is to help those who are looking for truth, looking for a more credible source of information, find information they can sink their teeth into. What they do with that information, of course, totally up to them. I don't expect anybody to agree with me. But I want to help them better, more clearly see the world as it is, but also, I ask of my listeners, and, and I'm asking this of you, and it may be too much, I understand, to think about what you can do at the individual level to improve the world. Even if it's just offering the world that, that one improved unit that Albert J. Nock used to write about. That's, that's what he recommended as the best way. You want to fix things that are wrong in society? Start by fixing yourself and offering that as one improved unit to society. See, the crazy thing is, as people around you see you changing your behavior and changing the way that you live your life and, and just basically focusing on improving yourself, it inspires them to do likewise. This is one of the reasons why uh, dissent is, is very seriously policed. And in, in many cases, you know, uh, t- people go after, you know, the dissenters. Let me give you an example of what that looks like, actually. Um, this, this may seem like kind of a strange thing. If you're not uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, you might feel like, well, I really have nothing to worry about here. But um, Dr. Peter McCullough has been one of the voices of reason over the last nearly three years, talking about not just the vaccines, but just uh, challenging some of the official approaches to COVID, which it turns out now we're starting to realize There was a lot of stuff that was stated to us as fact that really wasn't known at the time. In fact, there was a departure from centuries of established, you know, what do we do in the case of a pandemic? Now, granted, we learn all the time, but look, the knowledge hadn't changed to the point where, well, here's what we do. We pull the plug on society. We lock everybody down, basically put them in a, you know, glorified version of house arrest. And that's going to stop the disease. That had never been done before. It didn't work. And Dr. McCullough was one of the people who challenged the church of COVID. And now he's being stripped of his ability to practice medicine as well as to oversee a medical journal. Steve Kirsch uh, says that uh, he, he actually received a communication from Dr. McCullough saying that he was terminated as the editor-in-chief of cardiorenal medicine and reviews in cardiovascular ma- medicine after years of service and rising impact factors. No phone call, no board meeting, no due process, just emails and certified letters. Yeah. You've been stripped of your rank. Powerful dark forces, he says, are working in academic medicine to expunge any resistance to the vaccine. 
In fact, Dr. McCullough says yesterday, I was stripped of my board certificates or certifications rather in internal medicine and cardiology after decades of perfect clinical performance, board scores, and hundreds of peer-reviewed publications. None of this will stop until there is a needle in every arm. That's kind of a scary thought. So there are, there are others that are also being challenged. Dr. Peter or Dr. Pierre Corey, another heroic challenger of the status quo, under the gun now from the American Board of Internal Medicine for misinformation, apparently. Dr. Merle Ness, another denier of the killing machine COVID protocols, who's been dragged into a kangaroo court in the main board of licensure in medicine after being suspended for, well, they really don't know what because the evidence just never seems to be produced. I know, I like to think we've turned the corner and all right, well, maybe this stuff is settling down and common sense is finally coming back. No, no. The medical mafia is silencing its opponents. And, you know, I'm, I'm sorry if it just sounds like, boy, Brian, you've got a bone to pick with the, the medical establishment. But increasingly, I do have a bone to pick with them. If they're starting to, to purge the doctors who spoke up, especially when those doctors like Peter McCullough were right. I don't know if you remember, Joe Rogan had Peter McCullough on, and I think the, the only interview he did that really eclipsed that interview was the one he did with, um, crap, Dr. Robert. Oh, his last name escapes me here. Anyway, one of the developers of the mRNA vaccine, Dr. Malone, thank you, whoever just pushed that thought toward me, Dr. Robert Malone. Those were very pivotal interviews. And I remember people freaking out, Joe Rogan, this this misinformation spreader and so forth. It's a scary thought to think that now these individuals are are in danger of losing their professional licensure because they won't tow a political line, an ideological line, rather than a scientific line. After all, science doesn't shy away from questioning. Science is all about asking questions, proving things. It's not about let's silence this uh, this heretic. In fact, uh, let's burn him or her at the stake. I mean, that's the stuff of witchcraft. That's that's you know perverted religion. That's not science. Anyway, if you can handle commentary that uh, that covers such things and that uh, flies in the face of what conventional wisdom is saying, and that uh, is willing to call out authoritarians for being authoritarians and wanting to control as many aspects of your life as possible. I think you're going to find something of substance in this show. So let's jump in, shall we? You ready for a down and dirty recap of what's going on in the world? All right. James Howard Kunstler describes the lay of the land as the midterm elections approach. His article on Lou Rockwell over the weekend, an election, if you can hold it. He's really got away with words. But look, listen to what he says about some of the stuff that's going on here. Mr. Kunstler doesn't miss, miss much at all here. He says, the death of the faithless state is as natural and lovely as a melting snowflake. All the broken things will start to be fixed, and all the crazy things will go away immediately. Another one from Curtis Yarvin. He asks, can our country begin to get its head screwed back on with the midterm election? The cynicism out there is near monumental. Even if the perfidious party of chaos gets thrashed unto near death at the polls, awful pitfalls and frightful quandaries await whatever regime coalesces into a legislative majority of the center and right. And there remains in place the ghastly figure of Joe Biden, the waxwork president fronting the coterie of Jacobin crazies, still aiming to drag Western Civ into the dumpster of history. One thing a congressional committee might probe post-haste, who exactly has been running the executive branch for two years? 
James Howard Kessler says, my guess would be Barack Obama by way of Susan Rice, director of the Domestic Policy Council, which is an office in the White House, whose activities are never, ever discussed in the news media. In fact, her mere presence is unacknowledged. He says, I doubt that one in a thousand people in Times Square could tell you who she is and what she does. How many times a day is Ms. Rice on the horn with the gentleman of Calamora, or Calorama, rather? Are there logs of her calls? Does she use an endless supply of cheap, untraceable burner phones? Or does she limo across town regularly to get orders in person? And he also asks, is there some penalty for running a shadow government? Perhaps something in the sedition or treason folders of federal law? The degree of malign policy coordination throughout Western civilization also suggests that outside actors exert some heavy influence in, on our affairs. So is Mr. Obama running Joe Biden, according to a World Economic Forum playbook, as appears to be the case with Weffer Implants Justin Trudeau of Canada and Jacinda Ardern of New Zealand? Because that would help explain how so many measures and actions outside of our national interest have played out lately. The Gestapoization of the FBI, the overt censorship, the wide open border, draining the strategic petroleum reserve, the drag queen shindigs, the foolish effort to weaken Russia in Ukraine, the climate change hysteria, the fiscal idiocy, and everything around and about COVID-19. Now, of course, the rule of law has become a pitifully squishy thing in our time. Kunstler says nobody is accountable for anything these days. The federal agencies can act however they like in way of persecuting their political opponents or inflicting immense harm on the public, like the CDC, FDA, and other public health agencies insanely pushing deadly mRNA vaccines on the public, despite massive evidence that the shots have killed and disabled hundreds of thousands. It's likely that we will see aggressive hearings into all sorts of government misconduct come January. And it's important to determine who did what to drive America so badly off the rails. But that won't, re- that won't mitigate the pitfalls and quandaries ahead. Now, I'm going to tap the brakes here for a moment because I'm coming up fast on my first break here. But again, this is James Howard Kunstler. Picked this up off of Lou Rockwell's website earlier today. An election if you can hold it. I really don't get giddy about elections. I don't, uh, you know, I don't sit there in anticipation. Can't wait to go get my I voted sticker. But I'm feeling like there might be some pretty significant impact from this election. And after the election, too. So, there's a link to Kunstler's article. We're going to come back. We'll finish it up in just a few moments. In the meantime, maybe you should be asking yourself, how can I use my influence in those midterm elections just over a week from now most effectively? This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just want to mention Garage Door Pros, located in St. George, Utah. This is a local company for St. George, Cedar City, Mesquite, Colorado City. They install, they service, they repair garage doors. By the way, they don't just do this, you know, grudgingly, all right, we'll do it. They do it with a much quicker response, much faster lead time than other companies can give you. And the doors they sell, service, and install are made in America. I know that's important to a lot of people. They do commercial service as well as residential service. You can go to their site at garagedoorproservices.com. 
com or call them at 435-525-2773. So I'm sharing this article from James Howard Kunstler, an election if you can hold it. I've really come to love uh, Mr. Kunstler's uh, take on the passing scene. He covers a lot of territory and he has some pretty sharp uh, words for those who are, are running things into the ground right now, but he, he seems to be pretty accurate. I think this guy is very good at uh, adding numbers and getting the correct uh, result. He points out there is a reset underway for sure with every teeter of what, of industrial civilization. But it doesn't have to resolve on the side of high-tech tyranny and super-centralized global governance by elitist maniacs. In fact, he says it can't. The bottlenecks of resources, energy, commodities, metals, all material things, plus the growing scarcity of real capital, as in representations of genuine wealth, guarantee that nothing organized at the gigantic scale will be able to continue. Certainly not any global political administration. The World Economic Forum is a fantasy factory. All it can really produce is chaos and misery. Now, he says many national governments may not survive the great discontinuities ahead. Everything we do has to get finer, smaller in scale, and more local. Many, maybe most, of our high-tech systems will be crippled by energy shortages and supply line breakdowns. The business models for everything from the oil industry to commercial aviation to running megacities no longer pencils out. And as economist Herb Stein observed years ago, things that can't go on stop. Kunstler says every attempt to maintain the status quo of our withering globalist arrangements will be an act of futility, including the wars that our elites seem to be yearning for. If we squander our remaining resources on kinetic conflict, the, that will only drag out the journey to new arrangements, destroy more lives, and break th more things that still have value. So in theory, a new Congress could get rid of both Joe Biden and Kamala Harris via established procedure, meaning impeachment, and install the next Speaker of the House as president. But it would require the most extreme degree of bipartisan cooperation imaginable to get convictions in the Senate. So, perhaps uh, J.B. and the Veep could both be induced to resign. It's certain that the Biden family's crimes of global bribery will be laid out in every sordid detail, which on top of his obvious incompetence would ensure J.B.'s removal. Ms. Harris can answer for the border crisis. She was so lax and mindless in office, she didn't even bother passing the buck on the responsibility she'd accepted for managing the border. She never even went down there to look around. So James Howard Kunstler says if the election actually happens, the cynical doubt it, it'll be gratifying for sure to see the loathsome cast of characters swept, swept away in the chemtrail of history. But the winners will have to get the country's head screwed back on to face the tremendous task of making new arrangements for the continuation of daily life under harsh and alarming conditions. Or else the election may be the last thing we do as the country that we were. I know, it's sobering and encouraging at the same time, but I think he's got a pretty strong assessment there, and I don't think he's wrong. Now, with a lot of us getting tired of the current political shenanigans, you know, we, we, I find myself hoping that maybe there's going to be some kind of a correction here, and it's not going to fix everything, but maybe this will at least take some of the people out of power who really don't deserve to hold power in the first place. Now, J. Petter Zane writing for AmericanThinker.com, or I'm sorry, AmericanGreatness.com, AmGreatness.com, says the midterms are really just a bump in the road for the mainstream propagandists. No correction is in the cards. And this is, I share this with you 
because you got to be on your toes. You cannot be trusting of the information sources you hear. Yes, that even includes me. Don't be taking everything I say at face value. Oh, well, you know, Brian said it, therefore it must be true. These are things you're going to have to vet for yourself. In this case, uh, J. Peter Zane says, The great paradox and shame of the New York Times, Washington Post, and many other prestigious news outlets is that they're brimming with top-notch reporters and editors who consistently produce stellar work. Yet that distinguished journalism stands as a stark indictment of their political coverage, which insistently betrays the best traditions of the profession. It's not a bug. It's a feature. They know that Hillary Clinton's campaign manufactured the false claim embraced and amplified by the highest levels of the Department of Justice and the FBI that Donald Trump conspired with the Russians to steal the 2016 race. Instead of working to expose this massive effort at election denial, they advanced the conspiracy theory for years before working to cover up the truth as it emerged. They know that significant questions surround the business dealings of Joe Biden's son, Hunter, and his brother, James, including evidence from their former business partner that the president himself lied about and profited from these deals. Instead of using their vast resources and talent to probe this alleged malfeasance, they've largely ignored the mounting evidence of corruption. Instead of shining a light, they've intentionally kept their audiences in the dark regarding the stories of the greatest consequence— No doubt those readers were surprised to learn this week about record early voting in Georgia since the state's new voting law had been described to them as Jim Crow 2.0. Likewise, they were probably shocked to learn that despite the plague of systemic racism in the U.S. healthcare system, whites are now more likely to die from COVID than blacks. One can only wonder how those readers are responding to polls which increasingly suggest big Republican victories in next month's elections. Yes, the out-of-power party usually thrives in off-year midterms, but this anticipated red wave is taking place after most mainstream news sources have relentlessly cast the GOP as the second coming of the Third Reich. For months, Democrats and their powerful media outlines have been treating January 6th as if it were Pearl Harbor or 9-11, issuing thousands of fearsome reports across their homepages and airwaves. The president created a boogeyman label, MAGA Republicans, which mainstream reporters have echoed to frame the coming midterms as a battle to save democracy. No rational American who believes what he reads and hears in the New York Times, Washington Post, L.A. Times, Associated Press, NPR, NBC, ABC, CBS, CNN, MSNBC, the far-left Atlantic, the New Yorker, and on and on and on, could possibly support the GOP. If you care about the future of America, democracy, and your own rights, USA Today columnist Jill Lawrence declared, don't vote for Republicans, any of them. Their house-on-fire coverage bludgeons Americans with the message that fascism and white supremacy are the real ballot measures at stake in the midterms, and that our nation will become an authoritarian hellhole if Democrats do not prevail. And they're telling no decent person could vote for these monsters. Well, this message is not just false. It is despicable. It reflects a deep contempt for the American people. We're not a nation of haters. The vast majority of us hold sacred the rule of law under the Constitution. The mob who attacked the Capitol on January 6th are a fringe minority. Those who argue otherwise, which includes most Democratic leaders and their lackeys at prestigious news outlets, are the greater danger. They insistently demonize their opponents and divide the nation. Their constant alarms about a brewing civil war sound more like a desire for conflict than a warning. If the polls are correct, the looming midterms may prove to be a reaffirmation of the wisdom of the crowd. 
Despite the relentless propaganda spewed by elite news organizations, the American people can still identify the issues that matter. Things like runaway inflation, high interest rates, violent crime, an insecure border, and the excesses of woke ideology. The challenges they face in their daily lives define reality far more than the ideological fantasies they are told to believe. I'm going to tap the brakes here once again because I'm coming up on my own break, but does that not ring true? Does that not sound like exactly what we are being subjected to? Any vote for a Republican is a vote for fascism. Yeah, and they, they actually fear the independents even more so than the Republicans. Ah, oh, man. I know, it's, it's job security for me, but it's still kind of, uh, kind of uncomfortable to have to uncover this stuff or at least point it out and say, did you see this craziness? This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Again, I am sharing an article here from American Greatness. That's amgreatness.com. This one is written by J. Petter Zane. And talking about uh, midterms are just a bump in the road for the midstream, I'm sorry, the mainstream propagandists. And it's pretty crazy, but it's true. We're, we're hearing relentless propaganda that uh, that says... That, you know, what's going to happen here is that, uh, you know, the, the Third Reich is going to materialize if Republicans take control. And, and it's, it's crazy, but there are people who actually believe this. So we will see this, this repudiation of, uh, of hopefully all the woke garbage and the propaganda spewed by these elite news organizations. I mean, it's crazy to think that uh, the... People could be manipulated like this, but there are folks who are terribly, terribly afraid. Unfortunately, the repudiation of those false narratives is probably not going to have any effect on mainstream news outlets, so don't look for them to change their tune. No correction is in the cards. What's most likely is they'll redouble their efforts to shape the national discourse, which would help explain why Hillary Clinton and the FBI have not been held to account for their Russiagate perfidy and why the president remains unscathed by his family's suspect business dealings. Election results are just a bump in the road on their long march. Their business model does not depend on providing the nation with accurate, fearless coverage. They serve a hardcore of true believers who don't know, don't care, or even desire to be misled. James Bennett, who was forced from his job as the editorial page editor of the New York Times for running an an op-ed which offended woke sensibilities, said subscribers expect the so-called paper of record will be Mother Jones on steroids. That is the present danger. It's kind of a spooky thing, right? Hmm. By the way, in that same vein, if you've ever uh, pondered how much wokeness has captured the institutions here... I wanted to share this article from Boyd Cathy about how America's war for righteousness is a war for evil. And and I'm not using war necessarily as a figurative thing here. He says, back on October 25th, Democratic Congressman Jamie Raskin of Maryland celebrated the withdrawal by the Democratic Congressional Progressive Caucus of their abortive letter penned on the 24th, imploring the Biden administration to engage in serious negotiations with Russia and Ukraine to possibly end the bloody conflict in Eastern Europe that threatens to rapidly become a nuclear conflagration which could end life on Earth as we know it. 
Now, Raskin is not just any ordinary Democratic congressman. He's an important member of the House, or the special House commission that has been busily investigating the dire threat to our democracy the January 6, 2021 insurrection. Yes, it's in quotation marks. Yes, he's a far leftist and Jewish, and his message, message is often just as frenzied and fanatical as that of any member of the squad. But with one major difference, he's highly placed and well-connected, part of the Democrat establishment. So when he speaks, he speaks with some authority for the party and its leadership. After praising his leftist fellows for withdrawing their plea for negotiations to end a cruel and vicious conflict, Oddly, is that not what leftists traditionally claim they do? Demand peace and an end to violence. And jumping on the jingoist and warmongering bandwagon, a spiraling path which may well end in nuclear holocaust, Raskin uttered his most important and revealing paragraph and the real reasons the U.S. is deeply involved in a faraway conflict in Eastern Europe. Whether he realized it or not, it summarizes the official, if unspoken, American and NATO stance on the conflict and more, the real issues involved. Most everyone in positions of power and authority in Washington and Brussels understands them, but far too many regular Americans do not. So here is Raskin stating why we must be in Ukraine. Quote, Moscow right now is a hub of corrupt tyranny, censorship, authoritarian repression, police violence, propaganda, government lies and disinformation, and planning for war crimes. It is a world center of anti-feminist, anti-gay, anti-trans hatred, as well as the homeland of replacement theory for export. In supporting Ukraine, we are opposing these fascist views and supporting the urgent principles of democratic pluralism. End quote. That sound familiar? Well, Boyd Cathy says it should, as it is the same litany of accusations we hear constantly and hysterically spouted by most of our legacy media domestically to attack, impugn, and cancel those who question and challenge the latest conquests of our liberal democracy. The language is nearly identical, save the location. Those ultra-maga types must be defeated, extinguished, whether in America or in Russia. And by the way, just as a quick aside, and, and you know, I'm... I'm not encouraging you, please read the Russian propaganda. But if you want to call yourself intellectually honest at any level, you really should read Putin's speech in his own words, what he said in his uh, evil empire speech here just a few weeks ago. Because he spelled out very quickly, what quick, very clearly rather, one of the reasons why Russia is taking the stance that it is taking is because they will not be dragged into this woke mentality that dominates the U.S., the U.K., and so many other Western governments. I mean, he comes right out and says we would rather die than, than become, you know, this, this inclusive purple hair-colored, you know, wave of drag queens and whatnot. That's not what they are about. So, yeah, that whole woke thing, turns out it has global implications. Now, Boyd Cathy says, look, Raskin has revealed the template, the universal template, which is employed both domestically here in the U.S., also globally by NATO and the EU, to justify its actions in Ukraine and elsewhere. And those actions parallel consistently the actions of official American foreign policy generally since, World War, since the end of World War II. Certainly, we had to oppose the advance of Soviet communism after that war, 
and much of the justification for our foreign policy since then was just that. We had to defeat the Soviets. We had to defend liberty. But more ominously, we had to force, in the words of Alan Bloom in his Closing of the American Mind, liberal democracy on all those recalcitrant nations around the globe, whether they wished it or not. And the so-called American conservatives went along as the threat of communism was a political game-ender which we had to stop at all costs. Yet in retrospect, it appears that each crisis de guerre, each crisis that enabled us to engage in what seemed righteous warfare at the time, turned out to be a false flag initiated by our government. Whether the Gulf of Tonkin incident, which propelled us into vicious on-the-ground participation in the Vietnam War, the WMDs in Iraq, which we solemnly assured the world were there, secretly hidden by the evil Saddam Hussein, but which weren't, a myth manufactured by our zealous neoconservative globalists, the Syrian massacres and gas attacks purportedly engineered by President Bashar al-Assad and his Russian allies, but in fact, more false flags staged by John McCain's terrorist Islamic friends, Islamist friends rather, and the evangelical desire to convert Afghanistan, a nation with a 13th century Islamic culture, into a gleaming example of modern American culture, complete with feminism, LGBTQ rights, and all the other blessings which habitually flow from our imperial foreign policy when we infect a targeted country with our version of progress and liberal democracy. So Boyd Cathy says our involvement in Ukraine is the latest chapter in this tragic progression of failed involvements, engineered by those who've dominated our foreign policy and also largely our domestic policies. In their chilistic desire to establish what, what my late mentor, the conservative Russell Kirk, termed a Pax Americana, a global entity which bandies about excessively the language of democracy and human rights as it proceeds to progressively limit and end the actual liberties of the peoples it comes in contact with. Whether here in the U.S. with the weaponization of the DOJ and its armed Stasi-style FBI, or in countries around the world where the global democratic read tyrannical boot of the U.S. and its minions in NATO and EU extinguish the heritage and traditional liberties of the inhabitants unfortunate enough to unfortunate enough to be the recipients of the large of the American largesse. Now he says early on I found it. Uh, Fascinating to see Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi joined at the hip with Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham on their shared eagerness to engage potentially in nuclear war. Over what? A faraway corner of Eastern Europe. Yet it makes perfect sense, as Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and other leaders, both Democrat and Republican, have openly proclaimed. This is a war to destroy a recalcitrant Russia and to defenestrate its President Vladimir Putin, even if it takes the life of every poor Ukrainian to do so. It's open-ended, with the only end in sight, the destruction of the Russian state and its culture. Now, there's much more to this article. I'll just, uh, I'll just cut right to the chase here. The roaring, lurid adversary bids well to sit in positions of authority and power over us, and its goal is to destroy the precious legacy and inheritance confided to us 2,000 years ago. What is occurring in Ukraine is one facet of this, the latest installment in that conflict, one which may well bring on the eschaton. Sorry, I'm going to have to go grab my, grab my dictionary now and look up eschaton. And <laughs> see if I can come up with a reasonable definition here. Isn't that interesting, though, how that woke language is what's driving U.S. foreign policy that's putting us directly in conflict with Russia? If we can't be innocent, then neither can you. That seems to be our government's message to the rest of the world.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. And again, a quick shout out here to lifesavingfood.com, hslammo.com, and monticellocollege.org. I hope you'll take the time to get to know each of these sponsors. I provide handy no, handy links rather in my show notes that you can click on and spend a little bit of quality time getting to know these sponsors better. Okay, a couple quick stories I want to touch on here in the closing moments. Let's, uh, let's first of all talk about lockdowns, the great gaslighting. This is an article by Michael Singer. It's uh, located on the brownstone.org website. Marvelous resource, by the way, if you are looking to to uh, break free of all the official COVID propaganda and really get to the heart of what's at stake in, in many of those COVID policies and the economic fallout that, that has followed. Michael Sanger says, more than two years since the lockdowns of 2020, the political mainstream, particularly on the left, is just beginning to realize that the response to COVID was an unprecedented catastrophe. But that realization hasn't taken the form of a mea culpa. Far from it. On the contrary, in order to see that reality is starting to dawn on the mainstream left, you have to read between the lines of how their narrative on the response to COVID has evolved over the past two years. So here's how he describes the narrative. It goes something like this. Lockdowns never really happened because governments never actually locked people in their homes. But if there were lockdowns, well, then they saved millions of lives and would have saved even more if only they'd been stricter. But if there were any collateral damage or uh, the, that damage was an inevitable consequence of the fear from the virus independent of the lockdowns, and even when things were shut down, the rules weren't very strict. But even when the rules were strict, we didn't really support them. So put simply, the prevailing narrative of the mainstream left is that any upside to, the co- to COVID is attributable to the state-ordered closures and mandates that they supported, while any downside was an inevitable consequence of the virus independent of any state-ordered closures and mandates which never happened and which anyway they never supported. Got it? Good. Now, this perplexing narrative was perfectly encapsulated in a recent viral tweet by a history professor who griped about the difficulty of convincing his students that government mandates had nothing to do with the fact that they couldn't leave their homes in 2020. Brent Ruswick says, How quickly we lost the memory battle over 2020. For over a year now, when my students write about COVID, it's about how no one was allowed to leave their homes due to government mandates infringing on our individual liberties. That never happened, and they're so certain that it did. Wow. What is that guy smoking? Similarly, in an interview with Bill Maher, celebrity scientist Neil deGrasse Tyson argued, we can't assess the effects of lockdowns and mandates because the counterexamples like Sweden are too different to be applicable. Likewise, astonishingly, in a debate on Monday, Charlie Crist, Democratic candidate for governor of Florida, accused Ron DeSantis of being the only governor in the history of Florida that's ever shut down our schools. You're the only governor that ever shut down in the history of Florida that ever shut down our businesses. Chris went on, I never did that as governor. You're the one who's the shutdown guy. Now, in fact, as DeSantis pointed out, Chris had publicly sued DeSantis to keep kids out of school in 2020. And he wrote DeSantis a letter in July 2020 saying the entire state should be in lockdown. So arguments like these are as facile as they are transparent. Does anyone think these people would be arguing that lockdowns didn't happen? 
or that it's impossible to measure their effects if the policy had been a success? As extraordinarily well-documented by data, video evidence, news reports, government orders, testimonial evidence, and living memory, the strict lockdowns of spring 2020 were all too real, and few people publicly opposed them. Now, there is so much more to this article, but I'm going to leave it for you to discover. I mean, look, he has the sources. He has the receipts here. Michael Singer does a marvelous job of explaining the problem. And the biggest problem that we're facing right now is we're being gaslighted. We're being told this never really happened. And so Michael Singer says those who spoke against lockdowns and mandates in early 2020 showed that they were willing to stand for the freedoms and enlightenment principles for which our forebears fought so tirelessly, even when doing so was lonely, thankless, and hard. He says, for that reason, anyone who did so has reason to feel extremely proud, and the future would be brighter if they were in positions of leadership. That fact is now becoming increasingly clear, but unfortunately, even to those who did the opposite, one more reason to keep all the receipts. So check out the link that I provide in my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Again, this is for... October 31st, 2022. I think you'll find some really worthwhile reading material. Last but not least, I want to share with you a great uh, article that landed in my inbox over the weekend. You know, manipulators love to put their victims on the horns of a dilemma. Well, you can either do this or you can do this. I can shoot you in the head or I can shoot you in the stomach. That Come on, make your choice. Make your choice. Well, Bertine Schaefer has a marvelous article on her Substack about must we choose between mob justice and the police state? And she starts with a historical example from well over 100 years ago in Oklahoma where a, a mom, her baby daughter, and her teenage son were kidnapped by, from a jail by an angry mob. And they'd been jailed for what all accounts seemed to be the accidental death of a deputy sheriff during a scuffle at their home where police were investigating the theft of a cow. And it's It's brutal. You know, there's a photograph that shows, you know, both the, the, the mom, um, I think it was the mom and her son were both hanged to death. They, they spared the little baby girl, but this woman was raped by members of the mob. Her son was castrated by the mob before they were both hung from the bridge. And the 58 spectators on the bridge as the two bodies hang below. 35 men, 6 women, 17 children. That's, that's about as mobbish as it gets. So to think of that as mob justice defies reason. What was done to them was not the product of any kind of justice, but a kind of blind hatred and a desire to teach a lesson to lesser, in this case, black beings who dared to commit any kind of crime against their white superiors. So that's, that's what legitimate ugly lynching looks like. I shouldn't say legitimate. So that's what lynching looks like. But in a true example of what it would look like. And Bertine Schaefer says, you know, um, it's, it's clear that given that horrifying legacy, it's, it's understandable. Black Americans today would be wary of any solutions to current problems with policing that might smack of vigilante justice. It's understandable that those of us who call not for reform, but an end to policing as we know it, run up against a wall of resistance from those whose only other point of reference is unrestrained vigilante mobs. Well, she tells the story and she actually talks with, um, I believe his name is uh, Dale Brown, the Detroit Threat Management Center. That's a private company that's been making some of Detroit's roughest neighborhoods safe for more than 20 years. 
And in an interview with Tom Woods, which is linked in this article, Dale Brown tells how he cleaned up one of Detroit's worst neighborhoods when police wouldn't. Now, again, this is a private security company. And this was a neighborhood called Crack Alley. The area consisted of about 10 apartment buildings, and according to Brown, about 100 aggressors who made up roughly 25% of the population. He says there were hundreds of people who needed help. I couldn't get the police to help them. So what Brown did was he went to the building owners and made them an offer. In exchange for one free apartment in a building, he would train and install one person to protect that building. Now, prior to his staff's arrival, Brown says there had been a home invasion every day and murders every month. From the day I started, he said there was only one more home invasion. I caught them, and there were no more murders from the day I started. He got results that even the police could not get. And I know that we're trained, well, the police are heroes, and we, we, we respect our police, and... It's just, it's, it's unthinkable for people to think outside the box, but how could private security do the job? But there it is, right there, black and white. That's, that's how it's done. And it was a new paradigm in public safety for the building's owners. They suddenly went into the black for the first time in 20 years because no one moved from their buildings. And everyone paid their rent. All of a sudden, as a result of people paying their rent, guess what? The corner stores, the liquor stores, the laundromats, all these places around them started to flourish because they had more customers. Wealthy people get wealthier when there's less death, carnage, lawsuits, injuries, incarcerations on their property. And Dale Brown says, look, they they like my peaceful approach because it means more prosperity for them. But my focal point was community and family safety. It's sustainable because it's profitable. Now, the methods he uses are very different from police. You know, if, if you, uh, you think in terms of law enforcement, uh, uh, he says, we do everything opposite. So a police officer thinks you're a threat. What they do is pull you over. If we think you're a threat, what we do is we pull up to you and talk to you. If a police officer thinks you're a threat, they do, they, what they do is they stay back away from you and we'll pull out their gun. What we do is we get so close, you can't pull out your gun. A police officer believes you're a threat, so they start to talk to you in an autocratic, aggressive fashion. What we do is build a psychological bridge to explain to you that there's no need, no option for violence. There's no opportunity. There's nothing to gain. So you must leave now, and I'm letting you leave. My staff is letting you leave. You can simply go. It's worth reading this article. It may may cause a little cognitive dissonance, you know, because how we were raised... You know, the police are heroes and we should never do anything that would interfere, but this is a fantastic article from Bertine Schaefer. Please check it out. This is The Brian Hyde Show.